some praise again for the praise team. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you join me in the Song of Solomon, chapter 3? The Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. You have found it. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. Amen. Word of the Lord. What is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all scented powders of the merchant? Behold, it is the traveling coach of Solomon, 60 mighty men around it of the mighty men of Israel. All of them are welders of the sword, expert in war. Each man has his own sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. King Solomon has made her himself has made for himself a cedar chair from the timber of Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple fabric, with its interior lovely fitted out by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Jerusalem, and gaze on King Solomon with the crown, with which his mother has crowned him on the day of his wedding, and on the day of his gladness of heart. Amen. You may be seated. Title of the text, When the Dream Becomes a Reality. When the Dream Becomes a Reality. It was January 14th, 1971, Norman Whitfield had written and released arguably one of the greatest R&B ballads, love ballads, written in the history of music, written particularly for a group at that time that was thriving in what was known as Hitsville, USA. That group was known as The Temptations. Whitfield picked a particular Foncello voice in that group that we heard throughout those early years of the 70s that grasped the hearts of those of us who remember those great hits by The Temptation. One voice, again, Foncello voice particularly, we heard on My Girl and we heard on Get Ready and my favorite, The Way You Do the Things You Do. But this one voice, of course, is most membered, believe it or not, on the one particular songs that both rhyme and feel in the context of the Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Eddie Kendricks was his name, the late, great Eddie Kendricks, who gave us that towering song, Keep On Truckin', Baby. You got to be around a long time to remember that one. But just my imagination, 
Some of us remember that. It was just my imagination running away with me. It was just my imagination running away with me. That's the song to which rhymes for me in the context of verses 6 through 11. Listen to the lyrics. Each day through my window, I watch her as she passes by. I say to myself, you're such a lucky guy. To have a girl like her is truly a dream come true. And out of all the fellows in the world, she belongs to me. But it was just my imagination once again running away with me. It was just my imagination running away with me. Now, if you remember that song, there was just a short line, and I believe uh, Paul Williams was his name, uh, sung a very short line when he says, uh, every night on my knees I pray. Then it goes back uh, to the group in their harmony, but as well as the voice of Eddie Cringes. But that prayer was, hear my plea. Don't ever let another take her love from me or I will surely die. Her love is lovely when her arms enfold me. I hear a tender raspy, but in reality, she doesn't even know me. And yet there's a line in the song that says, I tell you, I visualize it all. It all was a dream to me. And yet it was a dream that I labored to have as a reality. But notice, if you listen to the song, there's a constant reframe or chorus that's repeated. Once again, it was just my imagination once again running away with me. Just my imagination running away with me. Then the song leaves us with a bit of a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger because I have to ask the question, did he ever really get the girl that he was imagining, dreaming of in his dreams? But it leaves us there. But it leaves us there, of course, with an anticipation, at least a hope that out of all of that dreaming, somehow he made his dream become a reality. But he's dreaming but he's also visualizing. And remember, I told you last week, in verses one through five, and here's a theme that runs throughout the Song of Solomon, one moment it's a reality, and the next moment it's a dream. And it sort of dodges in and out of both themes to sort of help, remember this is a sonic, a poem, so the idea is to engage the reader to remember that part of poetry is dreaming, is imagining, is trying to feel the, uh, the, the feeling and the ethos as well as the pathos of the character. And what I think the author is trying to get us to see is, although it's just a dream, in the words of Eddie Kendrick, it's just my imagination, but is it meant to be my reality? That's the challenge we have to wrestle with in the text. And for me, I believe that in order for it to become a reality, in order for it to be not just in the imaginative world, we've got to see the one ingredient that seems to house itself 
in both the temptation song and in the text of verses 6 through 11. It's the simple idea of revelation. It's the simple idea of the seed of potentiality. It's the seed of potentiality because at least I get from the writer in the text that he never or she never in this context loses the potential of her dream to become a reality. So let me drop a few statements on you in reference to the word potential that I find housed in verse 6 through 11. Here's the first statement. All men are sent to the world with limitless possibilities, but seldom draw to their full extent. Now listen to that. Everyone has limitless possibilities, but we rarely draw to the full extent of what we possess. What a tragedy that most people never experience a significant fraction. And hear what I said just a significant fraction of their potentiality. A fraction of their potentiality. Instead, they become contributors to the wealth of the cemetery. In other words, their dreams usually die with them. Can you only imagine how many dreams are lying dormant in every cemetery that we go past? each and every time we witness one. And our potential was not given to be deposited in a grave, but it was meant to be maximized in the short span of our lifetime. So the question might be, what is potential? Number two, potential is dormant ability, reserved power, untapped strength, unused success, hidden talents, and here it is, capped capability. All you can be but have not yet become, all you can do but have not yet done, how far you can reach but have not yet reached, what you can accomplish but have not yet accomplished potential is the unexposed ability and the latent power potential is therefore not what you have done but what you are yet able to do here's statement number three potential demands that you never settle for what you've already accomplished that went right over your head. Let me say it one more time. Never settle, says potential, to what you already have accomplished. Why? Because one of the greatest enemies to potential is success. The greatest enemy, one of them, to potential is success. Therefore, you can never be satisfied with your last accomplishment. It's also important that you never allow what you do to interfere with what you can do. Never allow what you do to interfere with what you can do, which is the reason why potential never has a retirement plan. 
It never possesses a retirement plan. And how I know that to be a fact, I think of the actress Betty White, who just retired last year, 2017, not out of her own volition, but because her health told her it's time to call it quits. But she quit at the age of 95. So if you think about how long of a span she has had as an American professional actress, it's been long, quite unusual, but yet her potential in the last five years alone, potential would not let her sit still. She not only was a major star in the show called The Cleveland Show, but she also had a five-year running long comedy special. Can you imagine that at the age of 92 to 96 or 91 to 96? Five years she continued to act. And there are some people who only act for one, two, three years and that's it. And yet, because she's 90 plus years old, potential would not let her sit down. Instead, she kept pursuing because she was not satisfied with the last accomplishment. So let me tell you what the principle potential means. Let's, let's just look at nature for a moment. If I had in my hand a, a seed and I asked you what was in my hand, what would you probably say? Arguably a seed. If you saw what it was, you would say a seed. And in fact, you would actually uh, be somewhat stating a fact, but not necessarily a truth. Now listen closely. If I had in my hand a seed and asked you what it was and you said it's a seed, you would be stating a fact but not necessarily a truth. Because the truth is I held or I hold in my hand not just a seed but a forest. Because in every seed, there's a tree. And in every tree, there are fruits or flowers which has seeds in them. And as the seeds produce more seeds and more fruit and more trees and more seeds and more fruits and more trees, in essence, what you see is not all that there is. So you only see a seed. But that's not all that there really is in this seed. That's what potential is. Not what is, but what could be. That's a revelation for someone right there if you just catch what I just said. What you see is not all that it is. In fact, what you see is not what it is. It's a fact, but it's not the truth. If you are in your right mind and you have the activity of your limbs, you are still full of potential. In other words, you can do more 
than you are doing at this moment. And you can be and become more than you are at this moment. Why? God started with one person and from that one person he created another but he gave them seeds. And you read Genesis chapter 1, he says to them, now, be blessed, which just simply means you have my approval to expand. That's what be blessed means in the Hebrew. You have my approval to expand. He says, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. And that's what seeds are, the potential of multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. And here's a clincher. He did not only tell it to the two humans that created, but you read back in Genesis 1.23 and 1.28, he told all of creation to be fruitful and multiply. And what we are being told in Song of Solomon chapter 3 is actually the same thing. It's just a life-changing revelation. It's a vision. Now, here's what I came to tell you when we look at this text. First, understand what you see, as I've already said, what you see is not all that you are. For potential always is present, but it's also waiting to be exposed. There's another revelation. Somebody right there, if you just listen to what I just said. What you see is not all you are. That should help. Go back to Song of Solomon chapter 1 and remember when the king shows up to this young Shulamite woman, what he had to do was reinstitute this very principle in her life. Read verse 5. She was struggling with the kinkiness of her hair and the darkness of her skin and where she was laboring and what he had to do was come back and tell her what you see is not all of who you are. In fact, you are more than that. And he underscored and then he built a foundation under her by letting her know she is not only more than what she, she's, what she sees, but you are beautiful, he says, over and over again in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And that's what I came to tell somebody today. What you see is not what you are. Just because you might be in a dark space or even in a dormant space, a space where you're not moving and you're stagnant, doesn't mean the end of your game. Doesn't mean your life is over. In fact, it might be the very space you need to be in to recuperate, to restart, to restore, to change, to look at where you've been and get ready for where you're going. So a stagnant place is not always a bad place. You have to remember it's the way that I take it. For if I look at it bad and I allow it because it's a stagnant space to become a negative thing, then that's what it will end up being. Why? Remember what Proverbs 19 says, as a person thinks, so they are. But if I look at this stagnant place as a point for me to begin to renew my life and renew my mind and renew my focus and go back and look at the dream and remember the dream, the particulars of the dream that I had and look and see how far I have come and then start to make my way forward. So it's not a bad space. Potential is always present 
but waiting to be exposed. Here's a good story, good story. Told about a mid-20th century incident in Bangkok, Thailand. The government wanted to build a highway through a small village, but in building the highway, bringing it through the village, right dead slap in the middle of where they wanted to build it was a Buddhist temple, little small chapel, and a Buddhist statue. So the government realized that we've got to relocate both of these religious symbols to these people. They did. They relocated it. They moved the chapel, but when they began to move the 11-foot Buddhist uh, statue, they moved it, and when they got to the new location and they started to drop it down, they noticed that the clay around the bottom of the statue began to crumble and fall off. As they kept moving it, more clay fell off until the point where they got to over half of the clay from the foundation up to the middle of the statue had fallen, and in that instant, it had captured all of the workers and everyone standing around who was watching this Buddhist statue. And why were they captivated? Because after all of the clay had fallen off, they realized the foundation was made of pure gold. A statue then that was worth $50,000 in estimation became a statue worth millions. And here's the clincher. Once they placed that statue down in its foundation, people from around the world every day go and see this priceless Buddhist statue. Now, you can get hung up on the fact that it's Buddhist all you want. But here's what I got out of it. Here's an object that looked like clay. But once we peeled back the exterior, we realized there was nothing but gold that actually held this thing together. Now, that's not the shouting point. The shouting point is you would think that because it was a Buddhist temple in the middle of the aisle to which the government wanted to build a highway, that that obstacle would cause them to go in another direction. But what happened was the obstacle ended up being a blessing not only to the government to be able to build the highway, but for the people to be able to realize what you see is not all that it really is. In fact, if it hadn't been for the obstacle, we would have never known what was underneath the statue in reference to gold. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes obstacle is not the worst thing that can happen to you in your life. In fact, it might be the very blessing you've been praying about. And even though it might look like a bad experience, it's the one thing that will peel back the clay that you are made of and you get to see the gold that that rest on the inside of you, but had it not been for the obstacle, you would have never known the intrinsic value 
that you have on the inside of you. That's why obstacles actually can be your stepping stone in the right direction because it reveals what's on the inside of you. And although the Shunammite woman in verses 1 through 5 suffered loneliness, she didn't allow that loneliness and its obstacle to become a hindrance. Instead, it became the motivation. Remember I told you last week? It became the motivation for her to risk everything to go out in the streets and look for what she believed she had lost in the process. What she was doing, she was trying to tell us that the most critical positive thing about me is that although I may have launched out and it was dangerous, watch this, listen to me closely, here's the one thing we've got to say about this woman. What she did was risky, but at least she never stopped dreaming. She was willing to keep dreaming and to launch out. Her loneliness actually helped remove the clay and reveal the gold that helped her pursue the love that she thought had left her into the streets. Now, now you've heard that revelation that I've given you in the text. Now you've got to wrestle with the question, how do I remove the clay and uncover the gold that is within me? That's what you're left with. Second, every person is a leader in his or her vision because that person is the only one who can imagine Nurture and fulfill it. Let me say it again. Every person is a leader in his or her vision because that person is the only one who can imagine, nurture, and fulfill it. So what's your vision? What is it that you want to do? What's your heart's desire? And how well do you see it? See, in verses 1 through 5, she saw it very well. She saw it enough to know that if I'm dreaming, let me move it from a dream to a reality. So verse 3 and 4 says she left and went out into the streets, risked everything. But verse 6 through 11 says because she risked it, it became her reality. Here's another good story. It's about a little girl who was on a cruise ship with her father and they were standing on the deck and the little girl was already standing on tiptoe but she was struggling trying to see everything that was around her and she said to her father, Daddy, I can't see anything. And like a good father, what would he do? He picks her up and puts her on his shoulders and when he placed her on the shoulders, that made her higher than anyone else on the deck. As she positioned on her father's shoulders, the little girl looked out and said, Daddy, guess what? I can now see farther than my eyes can look. Did you catch that? That little girl said once her father, watch this now, this will make you shout out of your shoes. Once her father lifted her up and put her on his shoulders, she looked out and said, Daddy, I can see Father, then my eyes can see. 
And all I'm trying to tell you is this story tells us that if you rest your dreams in the hands of the Father, he'll elevate you in due season and let you see further than your eyes can see. Her statement for me captures the reality of what, what the essence and the meaning of vision is. It's the ability to see further than your physical eyes can look, to see not just what is, but also what can be and make it a reality. Vision is a conception that God is inspiring in us in the heart of the human being. Watch this. The greatest gift that God ever gave humanity is not sight, but vision. Not sight, but vision. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. See, you can have sight, but have no vision. It's a mental picture of your destiny. And remember, we can't live only by what we see. So that's why Hebrews 11 tells us, for we walk by faith and not by sight. This is exactly what the Shunammite woman did in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. She wouldn't let it go until it becomes her reality in verses 6 through 11. And it did. Here's my final story and then I'm going to get to the text. A young man demonstrates the most powerful force in life that can be vision. He is in an economics class in 1965 at Yale University. He writes a paper in that class, and when he passes his in, the paper is passed back to him scribbled in red ink. In fact, all he got was an average grade of a C. What was highlighted on the paper was the comment that came from the professor. I quote, do not dream of things that cannot happen. A brief interruption to that young man's life caused him at that time to go into the Vietnam War, but he came back in 1971 and he kept that paper in hand. In fact, if I remember the story, he read the paper every day and he read that one comment, do not dream of things that cannot happen. His name is Frederick Smith. And you know what Smedrick Smith did? He made his dream become a reality. How do I know it's a reality? Because Frederick Smith is the founder of what we know as FedEx. Federal Express. He kept the word federal because he said he had hoped that his idea as he tried to pass it off to the Federal Reserve would in return hire him as a contractor. But he they turned him down. And so what he did was kept the word federal by saying simply what I want to do. In fact, his paper was simply about how we can get packages from one point to another point overnight instead of just using the transportation on the ground. And as a result, we have FedEx who is later copied by UPS. Now, what am I trying to say? His professor told him, don't you dream of things that can't happen. 
I wonder where that professor is now. And I wonder what did he think after he found out what he told that young man now ends up being a billion dollar company. See, maybe God is trying to tell us, I know that there are folk and there are circumstances around you that's probably trying to tell you, don't dream of what can't happen. But it can. It can. If you are willing to put in the work, most people just want to dream and want the dream just to fall out osmosis into their lap. Not understanding it requires labor and work and painstaking and disappointment. Heartache, brokenness. But your perseverance doesn't come out until there's something there to resist. Uh, when I was in high school, we had free weights. Anybody know how to uh, exercise? You know what free weights are. You know, you put the weights on the bar and you work out. Well, when I was in high school, they came out with this new exercise machine that didn't use weights, but used resistance. And we all shied away from it. Ah, that thing ain't no good. You know, that's, that's, that's fake. What we didn't know was the idea of the resistance did just as much work as lifting the weights did. In fact, it served in the same capacity, but with less risk. What happened was the more you pushed, the harder it got. It increased its resistance, but at the same time, it was building your muscle. What happened was if you kept persevering through it, you'll notice it got harder, but over time, you'll notice your muscle began to expand and got stronger. And what the point was being made was you can't grow without resistance. Resistance is what creates strength and causes you to persevere. And all I'm trying to tell somebody is don't let your dream die just because you're standing in a moment of resistance. The supplier doesn't respond. You can't get the funding that you need. You can't get the proper response of those who you're potentially trying to become business with. Don't worry about it. You keep pushing and keep pushing ahead. What would have happened if because Michael Jordan's high school coach cut him from the team, he had cut it out? Threw in the towel of basketball. I wonder what his high school coach thought now. Resistance is a part of life. And I'm here to tell you, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it if you want to grow. She saw that. She saw that that resistance was standing in the space of her dream to become a reality, and she pushed through. She pushed through, and she saw her reality of marrying her vision in verse 6 through 11. Who did she see? Look at verse 6, Solomon. She saw Solomon returning to her following a brief stench of absence. Here's another point. Delayed but not denied. In that metaphorical language she details for us in these verses, the dream is a reality. How does she do that? Look at verse 6. She tells us, first of all, that this dream became a reality, and because of that, we are going to make it a public celebration. 
she follows through on the Mideastern custom by knowing that a groom, whomever he's going to marry, he would, he would create an entourage that would go to the bride's house and pick her up and bring her back to wherever we were going to make our home. But it would be a grand celebration that might last a week or at least a week or two suggesting to us that you have got to make plans, watch this, make plans to allow your life to be a public celebration because of your dream becoming a reality. Don't renege and hide in a corner, but instead be proud and happy about from whence you have come. There's nothing wrong with progress and success. You ought to celebrate it. You got to be careful. You got to be careful about people from religious perspective because they'll make you feel so guilty that you've made progress. Where, where you know the Lord, the Lord wants you to remain humble. I can be humble and still drive my Bentley and, and, and still live in my million and a half dollar house and still be able to contribute to nonprofits the way I desire, I can still be humble because I have to remember from whom all blessings flow. And so Solomon made this a public spectacle. Read the verse. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, and who is this coming up from the wilderness like smokes, like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and with a scented power of merchants? You know what that means? Solomon went all out to return back home and say, yep, I'm back, and I came to get my baby. And he's making a huge public spectacle of it because he wants everybody to know who it is that he came for. Which says to me that if we're talking about relationship, uh, don't be ashamed to let people know in the public your affection for the one that you got a lot of love for. Ain't nothing wrong with kissing. This is not for religious people. I forgot I'm dealing with church people. Ain't nothing wrong with kissing your maid in public. I mean, I get tired of seeing people who ain't religious just slap, slap, I'm all down. Why? I might as well go on and slobber my boo down. Nothing wrong with holding hands, nothing wrong with hugging, nothing stroll through the neighborhood, through the park, making it a public celebration. Watch this. Look at verse 7 and 8. He not only made a public celebration, but he gave a promise of protection. Look what he does. Verse 7 says, Behold, it's Solomon. It's the traveling coach of Solomon. Look what he does. 60 mighty men around it, the mighty men of Israel. What does he do? He gives her two things, safety. When he picks her up, he puts her in his carriage, his chariot, and he surrounds her by protection. And I want you to know these 60 men were not the junior servants or soldiers of the army. These were experienced. Look at the text. Look what it says in verse 8. All of them were wilders of the sword, expert in war. Each man has his own sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. He says to us, men, listen, when you bring your, ho your boo, when you, when you are out, it is your role to protect and he surrounded her 
with the best that he could give in safety and the best in security. Experienced warriors. And God does no less. For when we are out, God surrounds us with experienced warriors called angels who keeps watch over us. A promise of protection. But watch this in verse 9 and 10, a pledge of commitment. Look what he says in verse 9 and 10. King Solomon has made for himself a cedar chair from the timber of Lebanon. He made its post of silver its back of gold and its seat of purple fabric with its interior lovely fitted out by the daughters of Jerusalem. You know what that just simply says? Solomon says, I'm going to give her the best that I have. And that's what he did. He gave her the best that he had. And here's a call to us in relationships. Don't, don't try to do what you see someone else do. Do the best that you can do. And especially for us men who often try to live up to what we see the bro doing down the street. Be who you is, man. Don't put yourself in a space where you're going to always have headaches every night wondering how am I going to pay for this. She wants to sleep in peace. And if it means that we're going to ride in a Ford instead of a Mercedes and got a peace of mind at night, ladies, help me out. I think she's just as happy as happy can be. If it means we're going to eat chicken instead of filet mignon, she happy. We will make our way there some point. But let's not pay to get there. So he pledges to her a commitment. Then finally, he gets the approval of others. Look at what verse 11 says. Go forth, daughters of Zion, and gaze on King Solomon with the crown with which his mother has crowned him. On the day of his wedding, on the day of his gladness of hearts. See, the daughters of Zion are the other lady friends in the harem, in the temple, but they are also servants. Translation for us is, Solomon says, I'm letting everyone know as I bring her home, I seek their approval, that they celebrate with me this sacred moment in my life, this exciting moment of victory. And I'm just here to tell you, if people aren't willing to celebrate you when you get to that space where you've advanced in life, you just might want to rethink having them in your space. Because who wants extra weight when you're already carrying enough weight? And what does he do? He tells them all, celebrate with me. And then his mother who places the crown on his head, celebrates with him. There is something exciting. There's something reassuring. There is something positive about having family support you where you are. We can handle friends that turn their backs on become haters, but it's hard to handle when your family members become haters. 
That's a tough thing to handle. But this text is telling us that even when your family don't want to support you, move on. Don't exchange your celebration for their hateration. It's just not worth it. But move on to the next space because you have made your dream become a reality. Remember, you're a seed, but you're a seed full of potential. What you see is not all that you are, but inside of you is gold waiting to be unveiled and trees upon trees of seeds waiting to be flourished if you're willing to make your dream the reality. And God's in the business of transitioning dreams to realities. Lord, this morning, may someone leave the 